Section 13 of Shen of the Sea, a book for children. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Jennifer Wright. Shen of the Sea, a book for children, by Arthur Bowie Chrisman. High is Han Sheen. Han Sheen was not at all high as to stature. He was short, short as a day in the month of long nights. But as a leader of bow-drawing men, his place is high. As inventor of the world's first kite, he rose very high indeed, and that accounts for the saying, high as Han Sheen. The night that saw Han Sheen's birth was no ordinary night. It was a night of fear and grandeur. The Shen who places the stars in the sky had a shaking hand that eve. His fingers were palsied and could not hold. Star after star dropped down toward earth, and the people prayed and wept the while they exploded firecrackers. It's a sinister sign when the stars tumble out of the sky. This the people knew. Therefore they trembled. But amid the falling stars was one that rose as if the Shen had tossed it, as if the Shen had thrown it high. One large star mounted higher and higher, the while its companions fell. Wise men, astrologers, they who scanned the heavens said, The stars that fall are mighty men who die. The star that rises, that is the star of a future great man, born this night. The wise men of the village kept careful watch over Han Shin. He had been born on the night of the rising star. They thought perhaps he might be the ward of the star. They watched closely for signs to strengthen their belief. But for some years Han Shin disappointed them. He rattled his calabash in an extremely ordinary manner. There was no hint of greatness in the way he bounced a ball. Yet the astrologers held to their faith and watched, and finally were rewarded. There came a rain, not a hard rain, nevertheless a wetting rain, sufficient to drive the villagers under shelter. But Han Shin remained in the open where quick drops pelted. A foolish villager noticed him and said, laughing, Look at you, our future great man. He knows not enough to seek cover from the storm. Oh, 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 how wise! An old astrologer said, Hush, Chie Kuo, do you not see that the youth makes a bridge? Come with me. They went closer to have a more complete view. The flowing water had formed a little island in the street. Upon the island were many ants. As the water rose, the island grew smaller and the number of ants grew smaller, many being swept away to their death. Han Shin raised a bridge from island to mainland. The ants quickly discovered his bridge and crossed to safety. It is a sign, said the old astrologer. Chi Li, a good omen. He has befriended the ants. The ants will remember. Some day they will do him an equal service, helping him to become great. Han Shin discovered in the king's paved road a hatchet of better than fair metal. None of the villagers could prove ownership. 
little Han was permitted to keep his treasure. Quite soon a spirited chopping was heard, steel ringing upon stone. A foolish villager said, Look, Han Xin uses his fine hatchet to chop the old millstone, thus demonstrating his great genius. Ho, ho, ho! He uses valuable-edged steel to chip stone. The old astrologer said, Hush, Jatsu! Come with me and behold! A worn-out millstone lay at the edge of the road. Through the hole in its center grew a bamboo tree. The hole was small. Already it hindered the tree's growth. Retarded as it was, the bamboo could never reach a full growth. Hanshin belabored the stone till it split in two pieces. Then there was plenty of room for the tree. There was nothing to pull its elbow. That is good, asserted the astrologer. He saves the bamboo from death. Some day the bamboo will reward him, help him to become great. Shortly afterward, the astrologer gave Hanshin a note of recommendation to the king. Han went to the king, seeking employ. He wished a command in the army, but his majesty was in a sulky mood and would not see the boy. Therefore, Han continued his journey into Chinchou, a neighboring country. He went to the ruler, Prince Chin, and exhibited his note. The prince read and laughed. You are too small to serve in my army. My soldiers are giants. All very strong. You are Ko Tsao, little hopping insect. No. Han solemnly declared that his strength was that of a river in a flood and begged for a trial. Well, if you are determined, said the prince, take my spear and raise it above your head. The prince's spear was solid iron from point to heel and longer than the mast of a sea-venturing junk. Furthermore, it had been greased with tiger fat to prevent rust. Han grasped the spear to raise it. His fingers slipped. Down crashed the heavy weapon. Take whips and lash him out of the city, clumsy knave that he is, Prince Chin roared in a great voice angrily. The spear had missed his royal person by the merest might. An old counselor spoke. Your Highness, surely it cannot be that you intend to let the rogue live. He will some day return with an army to take revenge. Nonsense, said the prince. He is no more than an ant, and idiotic besides. How could such a fellow secure an army? Nevertheless, I fear the ant will work your downfall. He must be killed. The counselor insisted. He argued so strongly for Han's death that, rather than hear more, the prince consented. It is useless, but do as you wish. Send a squad of horse to overtake him and fetch back his head. When Han Xin beheld the soldiers approaching at top speed, there was no doubt in his mind as to what harsh errand brought them. He knew they intended to have his head. But Han having lived so long with his head, had become fond of it, and preferred to keep it on his shoulders. But how? How could it be saved? There was no escape by running. There was no place to hide. 
the boy must use his wits. Hastily tying a cord to his bamboo staff, he threw the staff into a tiny, shallow puddle of water that lay beside the road. The soldiers galloped up to find him seated on the bank, fishing and weeping. "'And what ails you, simpleton?' a soldier asked. "'Have you lost your nurse?' Between sobs, Han answered, "'I am hungry, and I can't catch any fish.' "'What a booby!' said another soldier. "'He fishes in a puddle, no larger than a copper cache.' "'Look!' said yet another. "'He throws in the pole and holds the hook in his hand. "'What a chiekuo! "'As foolish as Nuwa, who melted stones to mend a hole in the sky. "'Do you suppose this is the creature we were told to kill?' He was answered, Nonsense! Prince Chin doesn't send his cavalry to kill an ant. Spur your horses! When the troops returned and reported their lack of success, there was much talk. The counselor raged, offering to resign. He was positive that so long as Han Xin lived, the government would be in danger. He was bitter, because the troops had mistaken Han's cunning for imbecility. Merely to humor the counselor, Prince Chin mounted a horse and galloped away with his troops. Han Xin put his best foot foremost, hurrying toward the border. He longed to trudge the turf of his own country once more. It was not that homesickness urged his steps. Han felt reasonably sure that his friends, the soldiers, would shortly take the road again. The next time, they might not be so easily deluded. Therefore he hastened. But it was useless. His own country was still miles distant when he beheld the dust of men who whipped their horses. It is not pleasant to have one's head lopped off. At times it is almost annoying, Han thought quickly. Nearby was a melon patch. The melons were large in their ripeness. Upon a huge striped shikua, the boy sat him down and wept. The tears coursed down his cheeks, and his body shook with sobbing. Undoubtedly, his sorrow was great. Prince Chin stopped his steed with a jerk. Ai, chi, such grief! Are you trying to drown yourself with tears? I, I, I am hungry, stammered Han Chin. Hungry? Then why don't you eat a melon? I would, sire, but... I've lost my knife, so I must s s starve. The prince was well assured that he had met with the most foolish person in the world. What? Starve because you have no knife? Strike the melon with a stone. Such a dunce. It would never do for me to behead this fellow. The Shen who watches over imbeciles would be made angry. A trooper slashed a dozen melons with his sword. Surely a dozen would save the idiot from starvation. Oh, what an idiot! Han Xin sat on the ground, obscuring his features in the red heart of a melon as the prince and his men departed. His lips moved, but not in eating. His lips moved in silent laughter. Han Xin bothered no more kings with notes setting forth the argument that he had been born under a lucky star, and so deserved well. 
quite casually, he fell in with King Kaolin's army. He received no pay. His name was not on the muster. He hobnobbed with all the soldiers and soon became a favorite. The boy had a remarkable memory. He learned the name of every soldier in the army. Further, he learned the good and bad traits of each soldier, knew who could be depended upon and who was unreliable. He knew from what village each man came, and he could describe the village with exactness, all from hearing the soldiers talk. A fire destroyed the army muster roll. Han Xing quickly wrote a new list, giving the name of each man, his age, his qualities, his parents, and his village. King Kaolin marveled. Shortly afterward, he added Han's name to the list. A general. Prince Chin made war upon King Kaolin. He marched three armies through the kingdom, and where the armies had passed, there was desolation and no two stalks of grain remained in any field. Han Xin moved against the smallest of the three armies. The enemy waited, well hidden above a mountain pass, through which Han must march. It was an excellent ambush. There was no other passage. The mountain was so steep no man could climb it. Han caused his soldiers to remove their jackets and fill them with sand afterward tying bottom and top securely. The sandbags were placed against a cliff to form a stairway. Up went Han and his men to come upon the enemy from behind and capture the whole army, cook and general. The second hostile army retreated to the river Lan Shui. It crossed the river, then burned all boats and bridges. So safe from pursuit felt the hostile general he neglected to post sentries. Instead, he ordered all the men to feast and make pleasure. Han Xin ordered his men to remove the iron points from their spears. The hollow bamboo shafts of the spears were lashed together, forming rafts. Armed only with light bows, the men quickly crossed Lan Shui River and pounced upon their unready enemy. The feast was eaten by soldiers other than those for whom it had been intended. Prince Chin led the third and largest army. He had far more braves than Han commanded. There could be no whipping him in open battle. In strategy lay the only hope. Han Xing clothed many thousand scarecrows and placed them in the battle line, a scarecrow, a soldier another scarecrow, another soldier. In that manner, to all appearance, he doubled his army. Forthwith, he wrote a letter demanding surrender, pointing out that since his army was so much larger than Chin Pa's, to fight would be a useless sacrifice. Prince Chin took long to decide upon his course. So long it took him that Han grew impatient and sat down to write again. While he wrote, a strong wind broke upon the camp. The papers on Han's table were lifted high in the air. Higher and higher they swirled, higher than an eagle, for the shen of storms to read. Han's golden knife, resting on a paper, was lifted by the wind, transported far over the foeman's camp. Immediately, an idea seethed in the leader's mind. 
if a small piece of paper could carry a knife, might not a large piece carry the knife's owner? Especially when that owner happened to be not much more weighty than a three-day bean cake. It seemed reasonable. Again, the little general took spears from his soldiers. The iron points were removed, and the long bamboo shafts were bound together in a frame. Over the frame was fastened tough bamboo paper in many sheets. Away from prying enemy eyes, the queer contrivance was sent into air. It proved skyworthy, lifting its maker to a fearsome height. Thus was the Feng Chung invented. Thus was the kite, little brother of the airplane, invented by Han Xin. The night showed no moon. Not a star had been lighted. The wind blew strong with an eerie whistling. It was such a night as demons walk about their mischief, and honest men keep under their quilts. Out of the sky, above the enemy camp, came a great flapping sound. Could it be a dragon? All eyes peered upward through the darkness. Two red eyes appeared. Nothing more could be seen, only the two evil eyes. A voice came from the sky. Return to your homes, boomed the voice. The battle is lost. Return to your homes ere they too are lost. The men of Chin shook with fear. The Shen of the sky had spoken. They had heard his voice. They had heard the flapping of his wings. They had seen his red and terrible eyes. How could the men of Chin know that the words they heard were uttered by Han Xin? How could they know that the flapping was caused by a man-made thing, later to be named Feng Cheng? And how could they know that the eyes were mere bottles filled with insects called bright at night, fireflies? The men of Chin could not know. They loosened the ropes of their tents, and the tents came down. Prince Chin tried in vain to hold his followers. No longer followers were they. They were fugitives, fleeing to their homes. Only a few hundred remained true to their prince. Doubly armed with the weapons that had been thrown away, they ascended a steep and rocky hill, there to make their last great fight. But Han Xin had anticipated just such action, and had prepared for it. Unseen, he had slipped through the enemy lines and climbed the hill. With a brush dipped in honey, he wrote words upon a stone. As he wrote came hungry ants. The ants came to aid, and to feast. Soon the stone was black with a crawling multitude. Prince Chin scaled the hill to its summit. Ten thousand swords could not dislodge him from those rocks. He would make the enemy pay a red price for success. His gaze fell upon the rock. He saw a host of ants forming characters that read, The battle is lost. His men also beheld, and they said, The ant is wisest of all animals. Let us crawl in the dust, for we are conquered. So Han Xin victored over three hostile armies. His country was invaded no more. In time, it became really his country, for he ruled it as a king. Ruled it well. 
but now his wise rule is forgotten. He is remembered as the man who first made kites. End of section 13